Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Dr. Paul Merrick, who is an American hero, in my opinion. Unfortunately, he's not being treated that way at the moment. <laughs> uh, Dr. Merrick, how are you doing today? Good, thank you for, for speaking with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. So for my audience who may not know, although I think most of them do, please give us a little bit of your background and uh, what has led you to be kind of at the front of this, uh, this fight currently. Yeah, so my intention was never to engage in this fight, which is actually a war, but, you know, it just kind of happened. Um, by necessity. So I did my medical training in South Africa. Um, I then went to Canada and did a fellowship in critical care medicine. Uh, I came to the US, I don't know, it's so many decades ago, I can't even remember. <laughs> and um, I've been practicing critical care medicine for, for 35 years. Um, so, um, you know, I, I'm an academic, but I practice clinical medicine. Um, I've published uh, over 450 papers, I've written a whole number of books, et cetera, et cetera. So I suppose, how did this start? Well, this actually started in March of last year. Um, we knew that COVID had come to the US and that I was going to face COVID in the ICU. Yeah. At that time there, there was no guidance on how to treat COVID, believe it or not. So the NIH, the CDC, the WHO had no guidance. Basically what they said, the treatment was supportive. And what supportive care means is that you give them fluid, you give them nutrition, and that's it. Which seemed absurd because at that time we knew that up to 80% of patients in the ICU were dying. So how could you not offer specific therapy for patients who are going to die? Right. It's absurd. So what I did then, and this is, you know, I came up with a protocol. I said, you know what, this, this is just not acceptable. You have to treat them with something. And I had previously developed a protocol for the treatment of sepsis, which is an infection. And there were a lot of overlaps between COVID in the ICU or in the hospital and sepsis. So we adapted this protocol. So I, did, I developed a protocol. The first one 
was the 24th of March, 2020 um, for the treatment of COVID. And then I, you know, I got some colleagues together because, you know, five brains are better than one. And we then, you know, probably the 6th of April, we formed the FLCC, Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance. So this was just a group of doctors. And what we would do is review the literature and we would talk about the treatment of COVID. So that's kind of how this started. Um, and uh, we came up first with the Math Plus protocol, which was a protocol for hospitalized patients. And it has evolved with time as the science has evolved. So our protocols are based on science. We follow the science and we, we evolve and adapt as the science evolves. I mean, that's how science progresses. Right. Um, Science versus propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, so that's how, how this started. And, you know, when we st started this, we thought, well, people will agree with what we do. Um, it made a lot of scientific sense. And then within a few months, COVID would be gone and then life would go back to normal. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been nice. So that's what we thought would happen. Obviously, that did not happen. And um, all kinds of badness have kind of intervened. And, you know, the tragedy is that, you know, the numbers are questionable, whatever, 700,000 Americans have died. If this disease had been treated appropriately, it would have been less than 100,000. So um, all the shenanigans have cost hundreds of thousands of, of lives. So, you know, we first developed the Math Plus protocol, which was for hospitalized patients. Mm -hmm. But we soon realized that the best way to, you know, get a handle on this virus and the pandemic was prevention and early treatment. Because once they get to hospital, you know, the mortality is high, they suffer severe organ failure and long-term complications. So what we did then is, you know, maybe in June or July last year, we came up with the eye mask protocol. So this was for the, you know, what folks can do at home to empower themselves to reduce their risk of getting COVID and what they can do if they get COVID. Um, because the NIH has been very consistent in what they've recommended. Their recommendations have been, you stay at home. This is when you get COVID. You stay at home, you do nothing until you go blue and can't breathe. And then you come to a hospital, which is truly astonishing that they would have such a reapproach. So, you know, we came up with our early treatment protocol, but there are many other physicians who've done similarly. Peter McCulloch is one of them. And so, you know, there are very many parallels between what we've been doing and what he's been doing. And, you know, we've all been advocating for prevention and early treatment. I mean, that's not rocket science, actually. Um, <laughs> it's kind of basic. So, you know, when we talk about prevention, I think it's really important, especially with this Omicron thing, because there are things folks can do, very simple things to empower themselves, yeah. particularly now as we're going into winter. So I think the first is vitamin D. 
So vitamin D deficiency has been shown to increase the risk of both getting COVID and dying from COVID. And obviously there are many populations who are at risk of vitamin D deficiency, uh, particularly as we go into winter. So, you know, people in long-term long care facilities, people that are indoor, obese people, elderly people, and, you know, taking vitamin D is a non-brainer. It's so simple, it's so cheap. And there's really very good data now that if you can get your vitamin D level above 50, you actually reduce your risk of COVID close to zero. Wow. And, and there are other things you, you can do, you know, vitamin C. Before you go into the other things, can you explain a little bit about why vitamin D is so essential to uh, and why it mitigates your risks of COVID? Yeah, so, you know, people think about vitamin D as necessary for bone health and for yeah. calcium absorption. But as it so happens, as we've discovered, and in the last 15 or 20 years, there are vitamin D receptors on the immune cells. And that vitamin D actually modulates immune activity. So it increases your immunity. And in, specifically in COVID, if you're vitamin D deficient, um, you get what's called a cytokine storm. And this gets made significantly worse if you're vitamin D deficient. So, you know, vitamin D, while it's important for bone health, uh, actually has important effects on um, other parts of the uh, immune system and many other effects. So specifically with reference to you know, COVID, but, but, but this applies, you know, across the board to influenza and other diseases, you know, vitamin D deficiency uh, decreases your immune response. So you're less likely to get rid of the virus um, and it interferes with your immune process. Um, unfortunately, you can't really get vitamin D from food. Um, you can really get it from, you know, being exposed to sun, Mm -hmm. which in itself has issues. So, you know, if you have too much uh, ultraviolet exposure, it increases your risk of skin cancer. So the obvious solution to this is, you know, just to supplement with vitamin D. And it becomes particularly important now with COVID, particularly as we go into winter. Right, right. And so that's the vitamin D story. Yes. Um, but then, you know, there, there are other supplements such as melatonin. So, you know, people think of melatonin as a sleep medication, but actually it has numerous benefits beyond that of sleep. So almost every cell on this planet makes melatonin. Um, it's a very important antioxidant and anti-inflammatory um, molecule. And what's interesting is that once you reach the age of 40, um, your pineal gland, which makes melatonin, the production decreases dramatically. So that people over the age of 40 have very low melatonin levels. And, you know, independent of COVID, there's really good data that melatonin, you know, we're interested in what's called health span, not lifespan. Most people want to live long, healthy lives rather than, you know, 
disease. And there is good data that taking melatonin actually uh, increases health span. So people were taking it before COVID. And um, there's really good data now that um, melatonin has very important effects in mitigating against COVID. So again, like vitamin D, it reduces your risk of getting COVID and dying of COVID. And, you know, this isn't invented. This is based on really good scientific studies. And then the other thing, which is just so obvious, I mean, it's just so obvious that no people don't think about it is when you get COVID, the virus replicates in your nose, right. your nasopharynx. So if you could squish something in your nose, which kills the virus, that's, that's such an obvious thing. So, um, you know, the use of betadine or providon iodine nose spray is very effective in killing the virus. Mm -hmm. And also in, in, your, in your mouth. So we recommend, you know, oral goggles. Mm -hmm. So people can do this prophylactically. And then when you get COVID, just, you know, squish this in your nose, you'll kill the virus. <laughs> you know, it's a lot cheaper and safer than these expensive drugs they want to sell you. So that's kind of, and then obviously there's, there's the ivermectin story. And, um, you know, this is not all about ivermectin, but um, the powers that be don't like ivermectin. The reasons we can go into it. So people think this is a horse deworming medicine. Right. So what they don't know is 3.7 billion doses have been given to humans, 3.7 billion doses. So it's a very effective antiparasitic drug that has really um, changed the landscape of parasitic diseases in Africa and in South America. Uh, it's very effective for many parasitic diseases. It's very safe. And the WHO has access to ivermectin at two cents a tablet. So it, in fact, is one of the safest medications on this planet. It's on the WHO list of essential medications. And it was awarded the Nobel Prize yep. in, as you know. So it's the only anti-infective drug which was ever to get the uh, Nobel Prize. So it seemed to be a very safe and effective drug until COVID started. When COVID came, it seems like it became a toxic, dangerous horse deworming medication. Um, amazing how that works. It, it is amazing how that works. And it, it's truly mysterious. So there have been, I don't know, 70 studies looking at ivermectin for COVID. And it's highly effective. Um, and what makes it such a perfectly designed drug is it has both antiviral properties as well as anti-inflammatory properties. And these are indisputable. These are indisputable. And what makes it particularly appealing is the mode of action is independent of the spike protein mutations so that ivermectin maintains activity uh, against all these variants and whatever variant you may throw at it, partly because it acts on the host's response to the virus, making the virus less effective. 
Um, it also is, is anti-inflammatory. So it's, it's a very effective drug for the treatment of COVID. Mm-hmm. But obviously the powers that be don't want you to know that. Right. And the answer is why. Yeah. So there are two reasons. First is the EUA, which is the emergency use authorization for all the vaccines and these expensive drugs are predicated on the fact that there's no effective alternative therapy. So if you look at the, go to the FDA website and you look under EUA, you'll see you can only get an EUA if there's no effective alternative therapy. So if the FDA was to say that, yes, ivermectin is effective, then the EUA for all the vaccines and these other designer molecules would become null and void. So we're talking now hundreds of billions of dollars. And then obviously, you know, ivermectin, as I said, costs the WHO two cents. Nobody's going to make a lot of money on ivermectin. So they, they want to force other interventions on you which are expensive so that's that's the ivermectin story the hydroxychloroquine story is 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 even more disturbing yeah because it it appears to be a very effective drug but what you know the the powers that be don't like hydroxychloroquine for the same reasons they don't like ivermectin so what they did is they designed a number of clinical trials But what they did is these trials were designed to fail, but worse than that, they were designed to kill people because, you know, the dose is like 200 twice a day. They use doses up to 2,800 milligrams, which is known to be toxic. So unlike ivermectin, which has an enormous safety window, you can give 10 times the dose of ivermectin with no problems. Hydroxychloroquine, because of its effect on the heart, has a narrower therapeutic range. So what they did is they used toxic doses of hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm. And of course, what happened? People died because of the high dose. And in fact, I discovered, and this is public knowledge, that the attorney general in Brazil is charging some of the investigators in Brazil who did the study with homicide because they deliberately, I mean, these doses killed people. Yeah, of course. That's um, great. So, so you can see that both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which are effective drugs to treat COVID, um, have been um, vilified in, in, you know, in, the, in, in, in order for people to um, you know, promote the use of vaccines and expensive drugs. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. so I suppose that leads into my <laughs> more <Yeah>. recent, <laughs> yeah, my more recent journey. So, you know, I, I was talking to you about the Math Plus protocol, which we developed in April, and which has evolved with time based on the best science. And you know, I, I have to. He emphasizes based on science, the best science that we have, you know, it's not based on politics or or economics or anything else, because ultimately the virus does not distinguish if you're left or right, you know, (laughs) brown or green, um, black or white, you know, whether you're American or Asian or whatever, it just goes for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
you know, it, it's, it's a, it's, it doesn't discriminate yeah. and, you know, treatment should be based on science. So, you know, we will use, this protocol has evolved and I was using it in my ICU, which is in Tara Norfolk General Hospital, um, up until, you know, it was about October the 5th or 6th. Uh, I could never use ivermectin because it had been banned. And then on October the 6th, for reasons that still are a bit nefarious and unclear, a, a memorandum went around to the whole healthcare system, but basically targeting me, basically saying that the medications that I use are no longer allowed by the hospital. So these are off-label drugs, which include drugs like flavoxamine, um, which, which has basically, they said the drugs are safe and ineffective. So firstly, there was a lie because we know flavoxamine is effective. You know, it's been proven in randomized controlled trials published in JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association, in a study published in Lancet, you know, so in some of the most premier medical journals showing the drug is effective. There was a randomized study done in the ICU showing that it reduces mortality. But for whatever reasons, they didn't want me to use flavoxamine or any of the other drugs I was using. What they wanted me to use was remdesivir. So we have to talk about remdesivir. We do. So um, the end of 2019, December actually, which really marks the beginning of COVID, a paper was published in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at the use of remdesivir for Ebola. And in fact, what they had to do is stop the study of remdesivir because it was associated with increased risk of dying that people who got remdesivir had a much higher risk of dying and toxicity. So of course the NIH and Fauci knew that, but then they decided to go on and test remdesivir for, um, for COVID. They'd started the study, halfway through the study, they figured out that it actually wasn't meeting the primary endpoint. So what they did, which is scientific misconduct, is they changed the primary endpoint of the study halfway through the study. So basically they were changing the goalposts. Wow. Um, and this is public knowledge and the New England Journal knows this. So they actually changed the endpoint to make the study positive with a bogus endpoint. So using this bogus endpoint of time to recovery rather than the original endpoint, which included death and time in a ventilator, they show that it reduced um, time to recovery in their study. And based on this bogus endpoint, um, the FDA approved this drug. We should know that on the NIH committee, uh, which looks at COVID therapeutics, I think there are 25 people. 15 of these people have been paid by Gilead, the company that makes remdesivir they have been paid no conflict of interest at all so obviously there's no conflict of interest what we do know now if you look at the subsequent studies is remdesivir actually increases your risk of dying so maybe i should just say that again because it's just so horrific 
So the standard of care across the United States is to treat people with remdesivir, a drug which has been shown to increase your risk of dying. And to make it even more shocking, the federal government will give hospitals a 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill if they use remdesivir. So the federal government is incentivizing hospitals to use a toxic drug which kills patients. Wow. Yes, I mean, I just don't, I don't know what else to say. And that, you know, this is, I'm not inventing this. If you, if you go to the um, federal website, um, you, you will see the, uh, the bonus that hospitals get for prescribing remdesivir. So basically, I was in a situation that I, the only drug I could use was remdesivir and the medications that I had used successfully, you know, for the last 18 months, basically the hospital told me I can't use them. So it put me in a difficult situation. So, you know, before I went to work, the next time I spoke to a lawyer and said, you know, what can I do? He said, well, actually, there's not a lot you can do. Just document what happens. So I think that was the week, something like the 25th of October. You know, I worked in the ICU. I had seven COVID patients, including a 32-year-old woman who had COVID. And clearly, I was not allowed to treat them the way I wanted to treat them. Um, so, I mean, th this is just so evil because, you know, here we have the federal government, state agencies, hospitals telling doctors how to treat patients, which is really a violation of the Hippocratic approach and Hippocratic principle and interferes with the patient-doctor relationship. And, yes. you know, doctors should be doctors and they should treat patients the way they see fit. We're not telling doctors how to treat. That's for them to decide based on their, their best clinical judgment. So basically, I was not allowed to use the medications I needed to use. And out of these seven patients, all seven have died. Wow. Including a 31-year-old woman. Wow. So, so I'm not saying that if I was allowed to treat them, they all would have survived. I don't know. But at least I should have been given the opportunity to do everything in my power to treat these people so they don't die. I mean, that's what doctors do, yes. is they do whatever they can, especially when patients are dying. And so, you know, this whole question of off-label drug is become bizarre. So what is an off-label drug? So, you know, when a, when a pharmaceutical company does a study for a, with a specific drug for a specific indication, whatever that may be, say psoriasis, they get the drug approved, for that specific indication, but and they can only advertise for that indication. But what often happens is the same drug is used for other indications, and that's used. It's called off-label, mm -hmm. and about forty percent of drugs used in the hospital are used off-label. And most doctors and nurses don't even know what's on-label and off-label. And if you go to the FDA website, their own FDA website. They say that it's quite permissible for doctors to prescribe FDA-approved drugs off-label using their own discretion. Mm -hmm. That was before COVID. 
So again, you know, the world has changed post-COVID. So before COVID, it was fine to use off-label drugs, but now it's a sinister thing to do. They don't want you to use off-label drugs. And the question is why? Well, of course, oh, the, the reason is oh, these are cheap, safe, effective drugs. They don't want you to use them. Right. So it is astonishing that the... Um, maleficence that is that has been playing out and the end result is that people have died yeah people have died needlessly and that that should never have happened absolutely absolutely so that's how i got in this situation so you know i had no option but to sue the hospital um it became complicated because of the legality and then when we went to court the hospital of course and their witnesses lied under oath let me say that again they lied under oath and the um the judge is was not a doctor he wasn't able to distinguish the truth from the not the truth so um you know the injunction we were asking for was the ability for me to practice medicine the way i had practiced for the last 35 years right. the the judge you know declined our emergency injunction so in a way we kind of lost that um what the hospital did at the same time um in retaliation and this is direct retaliation was they um withdrew my hospital privileges at the exact same time so in order for a doctor to practice in a hospital you need what are called hospital privileges which hospitals give you so based on complete bogus um, accusations which they say were unrelated to the lawsuit but um, obviously the the pulling of my privileges was on the exact day the exact day we, we went to court so to say it's coincidental about that. yeah again just emphasizes how they lie and get away with lying and unfortunately it seems to be the, you know the, the 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 modus operandi during covid is that you know you can talk tell mistruths you can lie and you get away with it right right it's truly truly unconscionable so where are things with the, the lawsuit now and uh, with you currently? Yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, it became, you know, so their goal was to get rid of me. And, uh, you know, hospitals are quite powerful. And basically, they prohibited me from practicing. Um, so, you know, the, the, and we didn't prevail in, in this lawsuit. So the effectively um i was forced to resign so as of the end of december you know i resigned from the medical school so at this point i don't have a clinical job and so you know i was punished for trying to save patients lives and stand up for the truth and what is correct unbelievable it's so incredibly so incredibly awful so, uh, and you, you didn't prevail in the lawsuit. And it, so is it done? So, so we were going to pursue it, but it then became a moot point, which the, which was part of the hospital's probable strategy because, um, so we were going to go to court in March or April, but 
it was predicated on the fact that I was still could practice medicine in that hospital. If I can't practice, then the 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 lawsuit becomes kind of moot because you know I'm not working there, can't prescribe these medications. So it was part of their plan to figure out a way to end my career. And you know, hospitals have this this power. So that's what they did. So because I wasn't going to go back, the lawsuit had to be withdrawn. So, but you know what? I think although, you know, obviously, you know, it ended my career, I'm still going to move forward, yeah. you know, because, you know, we have, you know, so I'm going to be doing more, you know, work with FLCC. I'm going to be doing more work promoting what needs to be done, exposing the this very evil um i don't even know what to call it it's so evil this this awful process that has taken over our country and the world which is goes against doing what's best for humanity yep. it's driven by very evil forces yes. so you know we have to fight this because we have no option so, you know, I'm more empowered now to, you know, continue with this mission and to, you know, the truth will eventually come out. Yes. You, know, you, you can't hide the truth forever. No, you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that's the unfortunate story. Um, you know, fortunately, I mean, I never got COVID. I never got sick from COVID. I don't have long COVID, touch wood. Yes, so, um, <laughs> you know, so in a way I can be lucky that, you know, this, the, the toll on society has been enormous, you know, just yeah. the deaths, the, this awful post-COVID syndrome, mm -hmm. um, you know, people have suffered terribly after COVID. And then obviously there's the economic and financial and other consequences. I mean, the, the kids' life has been completely disrupted, you know, yeah. they cannot live a normal life. So the, the toll of COVID has been absolutely enormous. And, you know, I'm not sure what the future holds. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can ever go back to pre-COVID. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. You know, the same way as 9-11 changed our perspective. Unfortunately. You know, COVID is going to change, you know, life, you know, for a long time. And, and how that's going to be, we still don't know. Right. Right. No, we definitely don't. What are some of the things you think moving forward uh, that can be done? What, what like what can be done to maybe not re re restore to pre-COVID, but one for people to restore their health? And maybe there's something very broken clearly in this medical system. What do? What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's any? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think we all need to unite. You know, I think there is a growing awareness amongst people out there that there's something wrong, Yeah. Um, that there is something wrong. And I think people are now recognizing that they have not been told the truth. Yeah. So I think we have to, you know, the more people that become empowered, um, you know, you can't stop this movement. Um, yeah. You know, just one simple thing is, and, you know, the vaccination is a, is a different story, but, you know, we've been widely vaccinated in 21, but there were significantly more cases of COVID, 
-hmm. in significantly more deaths in 21 than in 20. We were told that vaccination, we would get herd immunity and COVID would go away. We have more cases now than we have ever had ever before. Yeah. And the people who are getting COVID have been vaccinated. Yeah. So something is wrong. And yeah. it's about time that people recognize they've been lied to. Yeah. They have been lied to. And, you know, they need to seek the truth. And people need to unite and move forward. So what can people do? I think, firstly, they need to protect their own health which yeah. is really important. So, you know, the vitamin D, they need a kit, they need to take their vitamin D, the vitamin C, they need a kit at home, you know, a what if kit, you yeah. know, what if you get COVID? Mm -hmm. That's really important. Yeah. And then I think people need to start voicing their abhorrence to what's going on, because clearly there's something bad. Yeah. And part of this is censorship, you know, that if you don't toe the party line mm -hmm. if you don't say what they want you to say right. you get censored yep it's pretty astonishing I know. <laughs> I, i've been censored all over the place i know <laughs> and if you think about it science and and civilized society is based on people exchanging ideas and talking yes, yes. It, you you can't test a hypothesis if you don't raise a hypothesis, right? If you don't put one forth, how can you test it? And if you're yeah. being censored, you can't you can't put forth a hypothesis. Yeah, and it can't be a one-sided hypothesis. It has okay. to be open dialogue. And even if people come up with wacky ideas, you know what? They should be allowed individual rights and individual freedom and speech. Yeah. And the science and the truth will prevail. Yes. And and as you know, you've been censored. Every one of my YouTube videos has been taken down. And the reason is because I'm promoting misinformation. I mean, yeah. it's medical misinformation. It's truly astonishing at, um, you know, what they've been doing. I mean, you know, one of the most ridiculous things is there the was Democrats a... Democrats know more about medicine than you do, apparently. Yes, so yes apparently. you incorrect, yes. Yeah, so I don't know if you know this, there, there was some, some irregularities with the Pfizer vaccine in the study, mm -hmm. and there was a whistleblower, so the British Medical Journal published a paper mm -hmm. in the British Medical Journal, just outlining some of the issues with the Pfizer study. Yeah. The Facebook took that down and said that that's, the British Medical Journal is promoting scientific misinformation and promoting, you know, uh, anti whatever you know which is absurd this is the british it's medical so journal they, they were accused of promoting medical misinformation like facebook is the uh the the, the single um arbiter of what's true and not true the ministry of truth right we're, we're living yes. in orwellian times yes so I want to go back to your um, kit, your at-home kit, that people should prepare themselves. And I, I wanted to ask you, I know when we had met, you said that there was some people because they weren't able to administer ivermectin who were rubbing it into people's, they're rubbing the paste in people's feet. <laughs> um, and I'm curious about that. You know, I'm not recommending, this is not medical advice. I'm not asking you to recommend medical advice, but I'm curious if there was a you know, what 
what happened there and what the results were. Yeah, so, you know, we obviously recommend medical grade ivermectin, which is prescribed mm -hmm. by a physician sure. using approved. So, I mean, it's an FDA approved drug. Ivermectin is an FDA approved drug and it's been used in humans. You know, So there's this idea that it's a horse dewormer, which is obviously a lot of horse manure. But, you know, <laughs> when, when patients can't get what they want, they're going to take go to extreme measures. You know, when you have a loved one, who is really sick, particularly in the hospital, they're going to think of um, novel things that they're going to do. So basically, recently, I heard of this, uh, which I thought was quite interesting, is that um, what they did is they got some priests and religious people to come in and, you know, say prayers over the patient and to anoint them and to rub their feet with ivermectin paste <laughs> based on some kind of religious event. Mm -hmm. So apparently, you know, it, it is a highly fat soluble um, mm -hmm. medication and is probably absorbed through the skin. Mm -hmm. So apparently these people claim that by doing this religious maneuver and rubbing ivermectin in their feet, um, that they improved. Wow. So, you know, it's obviously not something we recommend because it's absurd that families should have to take some ext such extreme measures. I mean, it's just not right. You know, they, you know, they, families should be able and doctors to prescribe what they think is right. And, um, you know, obviously there've been a whole bunch of lawsuits where families have sued the hospital in order to give ivermectin. So, you know, I, I must re-emphasize that, you know, we don't recommend using horse, horse or animal grade ivermectin mm -hmm. just because of the dosing issues and the purity is that ivermectin is manufactured medically by a number of pharmacies. You know, there's a major pharmacy and then compounding pharmacies mm -hmm. that make human grade ivermectin. Sure. And that's what we should be using. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I just wanted you to hear how that went. And yeah, I thought that was very, very interesting. And I'm sure there are lots of elements. I'm sure, you know, one partially because it goes through the skin. And uh, there, I think there is also something to be said for, uh, you know, prayer and placebo and, you know, some of those. Yeah. So how much of it is prayer? How much is placebo? How much is ivermectin? I don't know. Um, I think it's patients' right, you know, to be able to do do that. That's their, their right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think the federal government or state agencies or hospitals should, you know, determine how patients are treated. I think it's a decision based on the patient and their physician. Let them decide. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's absolutely criminal for any uh, regulations to get in between the patients and the doctors. That's uh, really, truly unconscionable. So in terms of people recognizing that there is something awry and pursuing truth, um, you know, because the censorship is so egregious, what do you think can be done? What can people do to stand up and to, uh, you know, hopefully break this chain yeah <laughs> so that's a difficult question i think people like you who are brave enough to help us get the word out mm -hmm. you know is you know we, we need people like you we need people to you know engage in dialogue to talk about stuff you know right. people 
they just don't want to think. They're basically being fed all this misinformation yeah. and they're not challenging it. And I think, you know, with this, this current outbreak, which is overwhelming the country, they should, they should figure out something is amiss. You know, if all these people are vaccinated and the vaccine is so safe and effective, right. why are there so many cases of COVID? So something is amiss. And I think people need to talk about it. You're right. The problem is, is that how do you do that? Because yeah. social media is being censored. Mm -hmm. um, you listen to the, to the so-called news mm -hmm. and it's, you know, the news and the press are controlled by big pharma and they do not tell you the truth. Yeah. So we have a vacuum of truth. So it's really quite difficult to know, you know, how to spread the word. Yeah. So, you know, I think people like you, you can help us. I think we're all in this together and people need to talk about it. Yeah. So if, uh, so if someone is sick and they're not able to get the treatment that they need, because um, unfortunately, you know, they're, and it, we do a federalism, thank goodness, but, you know, in certain states, it's much more difficult to get uh, the care that one might need than in others. Uh, but, it, and it, this should not be the case. You should, if somebody is sick, they should be able to get treatment, right? Especially with these, uh, you know, treatments that have been shown to be so safe and effective, unlike the, you know, injections that they're recommending, yeah. which have not been proven. Um, so what can someone do if they're struggling and they are ill? Or a family member, or a loved one is? Yeah, so you ask a really difficult question. And, you know, I get, <laughs> that's okay. You know, people contact me all the time. There's a loved one in the hospital who's really sick and they want advice on what to do. And the unfortunate thing is that because of the system we're in, it's very difficult to fight the system. You know, the best, the only alternative, I mean, the only course they have is to take legal action against the hospital, which is obviously expensive. It yeah. takes time. People don't have the resources. Um, so, you know, the best thing you can do is speak to the physician and give them the information and hopefully they will be open-minded. So fortunately, there is a percentage of physicians who are prepared to be somewhat open-minded. Mm -hmm. and um, we'll look at the evidence and we'll, we'll um, you know, do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they're being pressurized by um, hospitals and state boards. Um, so it makes it difficult. What is actually intriguing, and I don't really understand this, is it has become a blue-red issue. So, um, you know, if you look in Florida and Nebraska, they openly have endorsed the use of off-label drugs, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. The attorney general in Nebraska came out with a document basically saying that it's perfectly fine for doctors to prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, for pharmacists to dispense it, and hospitals to give it. Um, and the new Surgeon General in Florida have basically has echoed the same thing. He's mm -hmm. gone even further in recommending, you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, actually. Whereas you have a state like New York who is actually 
trying to file charges and get doctors to lose their license if they prescribe ivermectin. It, it does not make any sense to me why we should. This is such a polarizing issue and it's become such a political issue. It's mm -hmm. really, it's, it's unconscionable. This, this, this should not be a political issue. Let's look at the facts. Let's look at the science. Right, right. And it should be about health, right? Isn't that what we keep being told? That it's for your health? Um, so well, well, why is this? Uh, see, it seems to be about politics and not about health at all. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate, you, you know, I mean, you know, even if you look at other methods, at worst, you know, you could say, okay, it's not that effective, but it's completely safe. So what do you have to lose? What right. the heck do you have to lose? If you have a really sick patient, you have a medication that is safer than aspirin and Tylenol. Let me say that again. It's safer than aspirin and Tylenol. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by giving it to the patient? But no, it's, it's become outlawed. It's truly astonishing. And what is more astonishing is that it seems to be a, a dangerous horse deworming medicine in the US, yet it's approved for use in 79 other countries. So somehow it's safe in India and effective in India, but in Americans, it's toxic. I mean, it just makes no sense. No sense at all. No sense at all. And so now they're pushing this uh, fear porn is really what I would call it because I don't know really what else to call it. It doesn't seem quite justified um, for the new variant for Omicron. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really trying to scare everyone. Uh, what are your thoughts on Omicron? And, uh, and now people are so highly vaccinated, as you pointed out, uh, and yet Omicron is spreading like wildfire and it's being uh, touted as something we should be terrified of. So. Yes. So maybe, you know, this may be a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. um, so for a number of reasons. So, so Omicron is different from the previous variants. I call it SARS-CoV-3 because I think it's different from SARS-CoV-2, okay. firstly. Secondly, um, you know, there was a study done in Denmark, 800 people of who, who had Omicron, 80% were vaccinated. So there, there's no question that um, previous infection and vaccination does not provide protection against Omicron. What's actually fascinating is that if you get Omicron, it actually protects you against the Delta variant, so, which is, which is you know, quite fascinating. So if you listen to the major news outlets, they're still pushing vaccination now, which is completely absurd because it just doesn't work. I mean, so why would you be vaccinated against a variant that has no effect. I mean, it's completely absurd. And I think, you know, people are being fooled. I mean, but if you just think about it, you know, all these people who've been vaccinated are getting Omicron. So clearly the vaccine doesn't work against this variant. So to, to advocate that more people get vaccinated just does not make any sense. None at all. None at all. And so you, you were saying that it, it might be a blessing. Uh, so it may be a blessing. We don't know. We still <laughs> okay. don't know. So it seems that, so I call the SARS-CoV-3. Mm -hmm. So it seems it's highly infectious, but what it does is it doesn't cause patients to be hospitalized like Delta or to 
you know, die like Delta. So it, it's more like getting bad flu. Right. So, so that, you know, we're not minimizing Omicron, but mm -hmm. I think the risk of a bad outcome is a lot less. So what may happen is this may spread throughout the world. Mm -hmm. People may get immunity to Omicron and then maybe this thing will go away. Okay. Now we don't know, you know, obviously, I don't know. You may have a crystal ball, but but I don't really. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it, but I haven't found it. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so 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 we don't know. So you know what's interesting is Omicron has displaced Delta. So if you look in South Africa and what's happening in the U.S. is that Omicron is making Delta go away, which in a way is a good thing because Delta was a really bad variant. People got really sick and yeah. they died. I know. Really sick. Yeah, I, I was, at least it was the timing of that. I was sick around the, you know, timing of Delta and I, it was not fun. Um, whereas I was sick again more recently and it was pretty breezy. So I think, yeah. So if uh, we go along with the timeline, I, I would say, yeah, it definitely seemed like a gift. <laughs> so. so you've had Delta and Omicron. Yes. Yeah. So that tells you something, doesn't it? It does, yes. And it tells me that... Uh, you know, one strain did not uh, prevent me from getting the other. Yeah, so that's why I call the SARS-CoV-3, because mm -hmm. I think it's very different from SARS-CoV-2. Right. Um, you know, I think it, it, it spreads differently. And in fact, it may enter the cell through a different pathway. So it, 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 it's, 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 I think it's a different coronavirus. And what's actually interesting about this variant is it may be actually hydroxychloroquine may be more effective against Omicron than previous, some of the previous variants, just because of the way it gets into the cell. Can you talk a little bit about that? Or yeah, so people haven't really said anything about this, but this is my hypothesis. So basically the way the virus gets into the cell is somewhat complicated. It's a very highly evolved virus and probably it was man-made as we know. So it binds to the ACE receptor. Right. And then there's something called Tempris. So Tempris is an enzyme which cleaves the spike protein, allowing the spike protein to go into the cell. Now, it seems that with this variant, Tempris, the entry into the cell is Tempris independent. So it doesn't require this enzyme to get into the cell. Rather, it gets into the cell via a different mechanism called endocytosis. It forms little vesicles. So rather than the viral genome being directly injected into the cell through this ACE temporous pathway, it seems that with this variant, it forms endosomes. And why that becomes important is one of the ways hydroxychloroquine works is it acidifies endosomes and kills the virus. Fascinating. So that's just a hypothesis of mine. It, it has not been studied. Sure. But, um, so I know a lot of colleagues are using hydroxychloroquine for Omicron. Uh, it's truly bizarre that we're actually talking about hydroxychloroquine because it was such a, 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 a rude word to mention, you know, last <laughs> year. It was a very rude word. You didn't say it in polite company. But, <laughs> but it seems now it's okay to talk. Well, it's okay for us to talk about it.
I, well, now ivermectin is like the dirty word. So, yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes, unbelievable, very surreal, dystopian times. Uh, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Yep. Yes. Um, so, in terms of, uh, I'm curious just your thoughts on like what is going on and what is driving some of this because you know, you've had uh, some of the, <laughs> you've been at the forefront and experienced some of the brunt of, you know, really them trying to shut you down, some of them just trying to take you out um, when you were trying to do your job and save lives. So, you know, there's, I know there's obviously financial interest, which we've, you know, kind of covered, but it seems like this is very, uh, you know, magnificently coordinated. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you're right. So, you know, um, th there's no question that this virus was a man-made virus from Wuhan. Whether it was leaked deliberately or it was an escape, we don't know. But there is some evidence that people were kind of planning this in advance. You know, we're working on coronavirus vaccines. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether this was all, you know, predetermined, we don't know. You know, there are some very sinister conspiracy theories that, you know, are, are really awful and, and we don't know. I think that there's no question that there are enormous economic and political forces at play, you know, that do not, that are pushing expensive drugs. Right. Um, and I think it involves governments, it involves state agencies, it involves big pharma, big pharma has enormous influence. And I'm, you know, I think there are other, you know, major corporations in this country have have a financial vested interest as well. So, um, you know, there's some people that, you know, unfortunately, while, you know, millions of people have lost their jobs and their house or whatever, there are people that have made a lot of money from COVID and um which is the tragedy yeah. so i you know i i think there is this thing out there the sinister thing whatever it is you know it's a thing that is undermining humanity undermining goodness for the sake of politics power and um, making money um and you know saving lives seems somewhat irrelevant Unfortunately, yeah, that, that, that's crazy. That's a crazy statement to say that saving lives is irrelevant. Um, yeah, and for me to say it, I mean, you know, people are going to think that I'm a kook now, but I think it's the truth, you know, is that um, you just look at, I mean, the question is, is the, that per 100,000, there have been three or four times the number of deaths in the US as in any other country. And the question is why, you know, we are the richest, most resourceful country in the world. Yes. Why should we have so many deaths? Right. And so there is something very sinister going on. Yes, I, I, I very much agree. I, I talk about, I have a beekeeper analogy. You know, there's this theory that when the bees goes, that the, that humans will cease to exist and the world will you know, will fall. And the, my, my analogy is that America is like the beekeeper because when America falls, then the rest of the world falls. You know, they're looking to us to uphold the free will of humanity. And it's incumbent yeah. to do so. 
And I mean, you make a good point because many people came here because of the so-called freedoms that America guarantees, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of thought. Right. This was a land of enormous opportunity. But unfortunately, and it's a terrible thing I'm going to say, we're living through a period which is no different from that of Nazi Germany with yep. all of this oppression and um, control yeah. um, for very nefarious goals. Uh, it's truly astonishing. So, you know, my colleague, Dr. Maduri, was fired from the VA. And the reason he was fired was that he was told he belongs to an anti-government organization. An yes. anti-government organization? Yes. The FLCC is an anti-government organization. And on the basis of the fact that he was a member of the FLCC, he was fired. I mean, that tells you how far and how deep this evilness goes. It's truly astonishing. So, I mean, the FLCC, I mean, we pride ourselves in speaking the truth and speaking science. And we now label the anti-government organization, my, mainly because we, we don't agree with all the NIH guidelines. And he got fired from the VA because he was um, a member of the FLCC. And clearly, you know, Dr. Corey has been fired three times and clearly I have lost my job. So, you know, it's not, it's not a coincidence that they're going after us. You look at Dr. McCulloch, how they're going after him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't follow the party line, so this is much like Nazi Germany, if you don't follow the party line, then you must be eliminated. Yeah, yeah, it does seem seem right in line with that, right in line with that. So what is next for the uh, FCC, FLCC? Yeah, so we're going to continue because, you know, <laughs> what can I say? We we more empowered. Um, you know, our goal is to tell the truth. And, you know, our protocols have evolved as the science has evolved. We don't treat patients. We're an educational resource. That's what we are. We we're there to provide information for patients and for physicians and to empower people to, to take control of their life and to do what they can do to limit their chances of getting COVID. And, you know, we will continue along this, this path. Um, you know, we guided by science, you know, we have no financial interest. We're not selling drugs. We're not treating patients. We just, providing information right right and uh, so where will this is this all on your, uh, just on the website where should people go to yes so that's a good question so they should go to our website mm -hmm. which is www.flccc.net flccc.net and you know there are enormous resources there uh, you know we have a big group of physicians but as well as nurses um, that, you know, we're all united in our goal to, you know, conquer this disease and provide the truth. Amazing. Amazing. And what do you see moving forward? Like, uh, what do you see for, <laughs> for humanity, for the, you know, the virus? And mm -hmm. That's a good question, Courtney. Actually, I'm thinking of going to a different planet because I'm really dis disappointed with this one. So if you'd like to go with me, 
um, I'm thinking of going to a different planet because I'm very disappointed with humanity at the moment. You know, you just look what's happening. It's not, not a pretty picture. So I'm not sure where we're going, actually. I'm not sure. I understand. This is why Elon is in such a rush to, to get off to Mars. And I hope he takes a bunch of us with him. Yeah. Because um, I think it's probably better on Mars than it is on Earth, to be honest. <laughs> uh, at the moment, you might be right. You might be right. And, and NASA just uh, admitted that there is life on Mars. Yeah. But they've been lying to us about that. But yeah, and I, I don't think, although I think there's COVID at the North Pole, uh, I'm not sure that there's COVID on at Mars, so that's the one good thing. Yes, yeah. So, so there's there's a win. Uh, <laughs> so in terms of uh, the the virus, what do you think will happen? And there is now that they're continuing to you know vaccinate at a very very high rate, um, and they're continuing to push it for more people. Um, what what do you think we'll see with that? Yeah. So you know, there's a very smart virologist. Mm -hmm. I think he's in Belgium, Gert van den Bosch, yeah. who basically at the beginning of this predicted what would happen. He said what would happen is as you vaccinate, you're going to select out mutations that are resistant to the vaccine. And you also, it's going to cause infection of younger people. Um, I'm not sure how he knew that, but he knew that. Yeah. And that yeah. seems to be what's happening. I mean, you know, people can't be blind to what's going on, you know, with all this vaccination, we now have a highly infectious variant that is resistant to vaccination. So it's a good question. I don't think anybody knows where this is all heading. Um, you know, it may back mutate to a more virulent mutation. It may, you know, mutate itself out of existence. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, you know, so I think we have to watch closely yeah, I think people still need to empower themselves yeah. to make themselves as healthy and as resistant to COVID as they can. Yeah, and, and um, they have to think that you know. I think that we are being society is being force fed a lot of horse manure, mm -hmm. and right. I think people people need to recognize that. Um, it's not the ivermectin that's the horse dewormer. They're being fed news and information that is horse manure. And mm -hmm. they need to recognize that and seek the truth and speak the truth. And the you know, truth think, matters. Yes, the truth does matter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I really appreciate that. So is there a... What, how can people support the FLCC and how can people support you? Yeah, so, you know, we have, you know, we have donations, we accept donations from the public because obviously, you know, we employ people to, to do the website and to do, you know, all the promotions that we do. Uh, obviously, we're not selling medications or anything else, but the donations are really um, very helpful. Um, you know, partly the donations covered my legal costs because obviously I had some legal costs. So, you know, um, supporting the FLCC through donations. Also, we, we have a, um, 
a merchandise store. So you can buy FLCC merchandise, which mm -hmm. is pretty cool, very nice stuff. And part of the proceeds goes to the FLCC. And, you know, we do have some very talented people that are now working for us. You know, we have grown. Kelly Buman is our executive director. She's a most wonderful person and has, you know, um, through leaps and bounds, you know, our, our, uh, our penetration across the world has, has, has increased. So, you know, the, the donations do, do make a difference and, you know, promoting the FLCC and buying our merchandise will go a long way to helping the cause. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to leave us with and make sure we know? So, you know what? I think we're all in this together. We have to unite together because yeah. I think we're stronger together than we are separately. I think people need to become aware that the narrative they're being told is not the truth and yep. that they need to seek out the truth. We need to speak the truth. We need to work together. And um, I think together we're much stronger than we are working alone. Yeah. And um, I think we just have to pray that we'll get over this. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I hope so. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. This sure. has been. Yeah. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Sure. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch, and you know, perhaps we'll do this again. Oh, yes, we, 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 we can do it again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.